Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spot Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Kans, and today's guest is Dr. John Demartini, who's the founder and president of the Demartini Institute. And Dr. Demartini, you're also a doctor, a speaker, an author, an educator, and a world-renowned leader. And you even have received various humanitarian services awards. And just in 2020, you were awarded for the top human behavioral specialist. So the biggest challenge in introducing you is I could take 15 minutes just doing that. So I'm just going to go straight to welcoming you to the show. And thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. That's probably the wisest thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do have to sneak in a few more things, though. I mean, it's incredible that a human like you who early on in life, I know that you wore hand and leg braces to correct a birth defect. And then a teacher told your parents that you were not going to do much in life because you didn't read well and didn't communicate well. And later on, they found out you had dyslexia and a speech impediment. And you've had so much that you've been through early in life, including a near-death experience, but because of a mentor, and that's really the point of the show is, is helping other people as well, especially leaders. And your mentor was Paul Bragg, who helped you see a new vision for your life. And here you are, years later, you've read over 30,000 books, you've been in over 30 documentaries, you've been over a thousand news and radio channels, a keynote speaker. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And a lot of our leaders have heard of people you've shared the stages with, like Sir Richard Branson, Stephen Covey, Robert Kiyosaki, Dr. Deepak Chopra. You've even been a presenter with the president and taught it or presented at Harvard University. But for our leaders today who run companies, I think it's cool for them to know you've also spoken at IBM and Shell and banks. And anyway, you've had so many accomplishments and you've had so many challenges. What would you say are the one or two best practices as a leader that you attribute to some of your success? Well, I'm a firm believer that if I stay doing something long enough, everybody else will die out and I'll probably end up at the top if I just stay with it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So having a sense of humor is one. (laughs) I really believe that if you are pursuing something that is truly inspiring and deeply meaningful to you, and you have a big enough why for pursuing it, you will find the people, places, things, ideas, events, and strategies one way or another in order to get that outcome. So pursuing something that is extremely meaningful to you is the first step. Can I share a story? Would that be appropriate here? Please. I'll try to make it brief because I know we have short time, but I had a gentleman who opened up a paper company and a forestry company and was selling paper. And the company was leading company at one time in Australia. And then Asia came competitive, competed with it, and it went down. And the CEO got up in age and started to fade and started wind down ready for retirement, which I thought was interesting. And McKinsey Corporation asked me to come in and have a conversation with the CEO. And the four other executives underneath them were either wanting him out so they could take the company and bring it back up Hmm. or getting him on fire. So my job was to one way or the other get him out or in. Hmm. I asked him briefly what he thought the problem was and he rambled on on external sourced reasons, which was all BS. And then finally, I asked him, what is it that really got you to start this company? And he shared a story when in his childhood of being in poverty and having to be bused to a very rich school and being the only one in the school that didn't have paper, pencils, 
and clothes that were appropriate. Mm. And the day he was at school, the very first day, he felt so humiliated that at the end of the day, instead of riding the bus back and being looked at weird, he decided to walk. But before he would walk home, he went into every trash can and collected all possible paper that was thrown away that was still usable and every pencil that might be usable. And he went home and he made his first pad of paper, glued it himself so he could be like everybody else with a pad of paper and a pencil. And that childhood experience made him decide, I don't want any child on this planet to ever be without having a pencil and paper. And that mm. drove him to want to create the company. And while he remembered that, and he had forgotten that recently, his company became number one. But the second he got so fat cat and successful, he lost track of the vision. It's so important not to lose the vision. Those without a vision tend to perish and those with a vision tend to flourish. He recaptured his vision and in six months, he turned his company back up to the top. It had nothing to do with Japan, had nothing to do with the external world, had everything to do with what was going on inside his heart and his mission. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story and I can confirm what you just said because one of my mentors who told me about you, he mentioned how you had helped him with his vision and he was struggling financially as well until he met you. But he also said that you taught him the importance of really discerning his true values. How much has that impacted what you do and how you teach others? Well, the hierarchy of your values dictates your destiny. It dictates how you perceive, what you decide, and how you act. Your choices are all based on whatever you believe will give you the greatest advantage or disadvantage to whatever you value most. If you don't know what you really value and you subordinate to idealisms of should, ought to, supposed tos, and all the imperatives from the outside world and all your mentors and the people you look up to, you'll confuse and cloud the clarity of your own mission, what's really your highest value, the thing that is truly inspiring to you, and you'll end up, uh, in a sense of waking up your executive center and becoming the real executive visionary, you'll end up back oscillating back into the amygdala and having reactions and compare yourself to others instead of compare your daily actions to your own highest values and objectives. And this tends to weaken the position you are in the overall global market. So how did you discover that? I mean, I know you were originally a doctor and now you're an international leader, speaker, etc. Did you discover that for yourself as well? I did, not only for myself, but in the 1980s, I had the opportunity to consult with over a thousand doctors' clinics throughout America mainly, but also in Canada and some in Europe. And I noticed certain patterns that a lot of the doctors were going and having consultants. And I noticed that when they were having congruency between the values of the consultant and themselves, they were able to apply the principles that the consultants were guiding them to do to help them grow their business. But when they didn't have congruency and there was a conflict between what was being told to do and what they felt comfortable doing, they would have a hem and haw and hesitation and they would have angst and they would they'd hold themselves back. Even though they have the same training as somebody else, the degree of congruency between their values and what's being asked of them, if they didn't match, there was a no engagement and there was procrastination, hesitation, frustration instead of discipline, reliability, and focus. And so the executive center did not come on. The amygdala was staying open and they were basically stopping their growth. And so that's when I first began. And not, 43 years ago is when I first got accustomed to values and the importance of them. But I was believing that there were the artificial values out there that everybody is supposed to follow. And I realized that that's not true. So I had to come up with a, my own value determination process to help people discern what's intrinsically important to them, not what's extrinsically expected of them. They live by design, not duty. And there's mm -hmm. a difference. 
There's a major difference in whether or not you're inspired intrinsically from within. Because if you need motivation to get up and do the things you say are important, you are not congruent. I don't need motivation. I've been doing 48 years of researching and teaching. I don't need motivation to get me up and do what I do. You know me already to know that I'm an inspired guy doing what I love doing. And I prioritize my life in such a way, delegated everything off, off my plate so I can do what I'm inspired to do. And when you do, amazing things happen. You make global impact. Yeah. And I'm so grateful you figured that out for yourself. So then, of course, a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, does this guy have anything that he had to work on as a leader? Did you ever discover a blind spot about yourself in terms of leading? Oh, yeah. In 1982, going on 1983, it's around October, I was uh, running a little clinic and I had a staff member and a little thousand square foot clinic and I was just starting out and I was already teaching. I'd already been doing that and studying what I'm doing, but I knew I wanted to do some clinical work and I realized that I was doing everything. I had the block of... I, I. If it's going to be done, it's going to be done by me kind of thing. And I was not delegating. So I went to the bookstore and I got the book called The Time Trap by Alec McKenzie. And it just spoke to me. And I summarized and penciled that book inside and out and I summarized it. And then I decided to take a real honest view of my own life and look at how I was spending my day. And I was in my way. I mean, I was just blinded by how much stuff I was doing that was trivial and not really priority. And I made a list of every single thing that I could do in a day and was doing in a day over a period of a few months. And then I listed them all and I had a, a big list. Mm-hmm. And then I write to the right of it on a column next to it. I wrote down, how much does it produce per hour? And boy, was that humbling. I realized I was doing a lot of stuff that wasn't producing anywhere, wasn't getting anything accomplished, but I was doing it because I thought I should, supposed to, or Nobody else is there, you know, all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. And then I made a list after that of of what's the meaning behind it on a one to 10 scale. How much meaning does this action have? And why the hell am I doing it? Why on earth am I doing this action? And then I put another column there and I asked, how much would it cost to delegate that? All costs, not just salary, but every cost, depreciation, space, training, everything. How much would it cost to delegate it? And where's the biggest spreads? And then the the next column was, how much actual time do I spend on it per day average? And the last column is, what's the prioritization of that? So I sat and I did that exercise. And that took a bit of time. But I'm telling you, when I did that and I looked at how I was spending my time, I got really clear about what was really the most important things. To major in the minors is not going to work. I got to major in the major stuff. And I then made a commitment to find somebody to delegate the lower priority stuff to and get on with doing the most. And in 18 months, my business grew tenfold. Wow. I had 5,000 square foot office, five doctors, 12 staff members 18 months later, making 10 times the amount of income. And people want to know what on earth did you do to all of a sudden out of nowhere, just grow this business. And I said, I got out of my way and quit doing things that I wasn't designed to do and got where I was strong. And that was mainly communicating with people, inspiring them in a vision and sticking to what I do and and learning and and sharing ideas. And boy, did that make a difference in my practice and in in the rest of my life for that matter. Yeah. And by then, I know that you were already getting very aware of the importance of matching values with with whoever you were hiring. And that that was after me being called the Terminator for hiring and firing people so quick initially. (laughs) Well, Schwarzenegger was my hero on firing and hiring. Oh my goodness. Well, obviously you had a 
breakthrough because I also met your daughter, who you delegate a lot of important things to, and she still well, loves you. Well, that's, that's the whole purpose of making love. You got to wait 35 years. That's all. You get an ROI on it. But I, I've been told I delegate everything. And I guys said, man, you just delegate everything. All I do is research, write, travel, teach now. I even delegate lovemaking to people um, for my girlfriend. I said to my girlfriend one time, I said, listen, if I was to get you Hugh Jackman or Brad Pitt to make love with you on my behalf because of my schedule, would you still love me? He said, I love you even more. Well, <laughs> I forgot to warn our leaders about your sense of humor, but I suspect they can they can all appreciate it. You are definitely, maybe we should call you Dr. Martini Delegator. That's what the D stands for now. Yeah, it stands for Delegator. I'm useless. I'm useless. I learned that from Richard Branson, actually. Hmm. Richard we were chatting in South Africa one time and, and he says, I'm so incompetent in so many areas. I had to hire people that knew what they were doing. That's, that's funny. Well, so listen, as we start to wrap up the show, we're, some would argue we're still in crisis. And there's a lot of people who feel actually inept right now in leadership. What, what else do you want to share for people? Is there anything different to do while there's crisis? Well, yeah. Anytime you see drawbacks without benefits or benefits without drawbacks, you're blind. That's the definition of a blind spot. Infatuations and you're conscious of the upsides, unconscious of the downsides or resentments or fears that are conscious of the downsides, unconscious of the upsides. Those are all blind spots. Whatever you perceive, find its opposite, balance it out and get you centered, which brings your blood glucose and oxygen into the forebrain, your executive center, which is involved in strategic planning, objectives, inspired vision, and the why. So instead of sitting there and letting the power be on the outside and what's happening to you, ask, how is whatever's happening? How is it on the way? How's it helping me get my mission? And if you're not clear about your mission, you got nothing to blame on the outside. There's nothing out Mm -hmm. there. You're just not clear on your vision. And the number one thing that blocks people from in plateaus and keeps them from going to the next level is unclear visions. They don't have a strategy. What are they going to do? And they're sitting there running the old story instead of getting onto the new actions. So yeah, I would say go inside and, and ask what exactly is happening and how is it helping me get my mission and clearly define what that mission is. And then ask what's the highest priority action I can do right now that allow me to serve the greatest number of people in the most efficient, effective pathway in a way that inspires them and myself. That's the question you want to ask every day. Wow. That's an amazing way to wrap up the show. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to contribute to other leaders during times like this. And I'll put it in the description. DrDmartini.com is your website. I decided to test one of your programs myself, and it started with the Breakthrough Experience. Anyway, thank you again so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And when the why is big enough, the house take care of themselves. Access your greatest why and watch what you do. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.